Morning. Morning. Don't you love it when God makes it rain in Augusta, Georgia, and while I preach, the leaders have already teed off? Any Masters fans in here? The great thing about technology is while Joe is getting words of knowledge, I'm watching the first two holes. (laughs) Molinari putting for birdie. I feel like praying against Molinari, and he just missed it. Father, I ask that you do not let Molinari beat Tiger in Jesus' name. Amen. I kind of meant it, too. Roby, your daughter was just on stage. I did have a word of knowledge for you during worship. I saw a promotion coming for you. And I just, uh, the Father's going to challenge you to be open. To, sometimes he chooses to train people through favor and not lack. And I saw a door opening for you. So there you go. My name is Chad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Bridgeway. And God is my best friend. He used to not me. I didn't like God for the first I got born again at 12. I didn't like him until I was 30 because I didn't know him. You know, when you're following somebody you don't know, it just doesn't go well. It just doesn't work. And uh, I had so many misconceptions. I was more tangled up than a tackle box. And when you, when you believe a misconception, you're just in trouble. And, oh, golly, when I realized he was nice and kind, his kindness leads man to repentance, and he was for me... And, it like, you start enjoying life. There are a lot of Christians that just don't like life because they come to Jesus because they didn't want to go to hell, which is not a bad benefit, honestly. But I just, I'd rather know God. I want to know God. Like when you know God, it takes away all the pressure to even perform this morning to communicate. Really, I mean, it's just, it is so much better to know God. Where's Justin who came to the altar a few weeks ago? I saw you this morning. Where are you at? Uh, stand up for a second. I just want to brag on you. This young man came to me, was it three weeks ago? Two weeks ago. And just in a really bad place. And uh, God draws close to the brokenhearted. And the fact that you've been clean now three weeks, I'm just like so stinking proud of you. Can, will you just uh, reach your hands out to Justin? Just pray for him. Father, I pray that you would use AANA community. I, I pray that this young man, Daniel Culpepper, go lay hands on him right now. Go there and lay hands on him. I pray this young man would, would have a story that he would soar the way Daniel Culpepper's been soaring in this house for the last five, six, seven years. I bless you, Justin, with so much freedom that you become really best friends with God. In Jesus' name, amen. So once you go from not liking God and realizing, oh, you're nice and now I'm in love with you, he'll talk to you about anything. The, the moments with God that catch me off guard are, are, they're not the, I never saw this coming. They're not the huge galactic moments. It's more the quiet moments. When you think of a desert, what do you think of? What else? Sand, oasis, hot, desert. Let's put a picture of what God talked to me this morning. I did not plan on talking about this. The God of the universe, my best friend, was talking to me about cactus. Then he told me, plural, it's cacti. What the heck, cacti? I know as much about a cactus as I do being a vegan, <laughs> which is nothing. You can't eat meat or have joy or something like that. I don't remember, but uh, God was talking to me about cactuses, cacti. 
talking about cacti. And he was just showing me all these different images. I saw a bunch of different cacti. And so I was Googling during worship. And by the way, one of the songs we sang, I was getting this during the song that Ben wrote. Wasn't that an awesome song? It's been prophesied over this house. We're going to start singing a lot of our own songs. That last song was Ben's song. I believe it's the last one. How many cacti, I about to say cactuses again. How many cacti do you think there are in the world? Call me way off guard. 2,000, over 2,000. I just figured there was nine. And I did not know that the driest desert in the world, didn't know this, was in South America, a word I can't really pronounce, about 600 miles long. It's just really dry, like dry, dry. And a cactus, cacti have the ability to do something other plants can't do. In drought, the root system, I guess, is just ordained by God. They can retain the water, even if it's a little bit, and some cacti can even hold over 200 gallons of water. <laughs> 200 gallons of water in a cactus. Other plants wither up and die. I mean, you got to understand, where, where cacti are, it's, that picture looks pretty. 72 degrees and breezy. No. You go to Death Valley, and I'm not talking about Clemson or LSU. I mean the real Death Valley. The real Death Valley. And I remember reading a book on vacation one year. And this guy called the Ultra Marathon Man, Dean Caracas, he used to run in these ultra marathons in the desert. Less than a mile, less than each mile, it'd be like three fourths of a mile. He'd have to change his shoes, and he'd have to run in a white suit, look like ET, with the big thing over over his head. There's fitness, and then there's that. There's probably some inner healing needing to happen if you have a desire to go to Death Valley in August. You know, I mean, come on, I'm all about pushing yourself, but come on, brother, just relax a little bit. Like deserts are hot and, and cacti thrive. And just because water is in your midst does not mean that we have the ability to retain that water and even live off that water spiritually. So then I did something. I just started going through scriptures this morning of, do you realize how many scriptures there are that the picture is how water sustains us yeah. caught me off guard it, it caught me off guard with how many there are i mean i was just going through them left and right i just name a few uh hebrews ten twenty two. let us draw near to god with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience having our bodies washed with pure water isaiah 12 3 with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation uh, Isaiah 44, 3, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your offspring, my blessing on your descendants. Get on down here to John 3, 5. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Remember when the spirit goes into Jesus, water comes out. Water is such a huge metaphor. I could go on and on and on and on and on. But what God was showing me is this. M- much of life is a desert but you actually can thrive in a desert when you know how to live off the water that he is pouring out. There's two types of water he pours out. He, he does pour out water at the cross. So Calvary is nothing more than an invitation to build intimacy with the Father. Calvary is an invitation into eternal life. So we remember when he t- tells the woman at the well, listen, I got water you know nothing of. There at a well, and he's like, I'll show you the real well. There's water available to all of us actually at Calvary. And you can live off of that. There's the other side of the coin, and that's the water that he pours out. 
in, in seasons that are sovereign seasons in your life. And typically what he'll do is he'll pour out that water in fresh ways because when that desert comes, you actually can continue to thrive based upon what he poured out in that season. But if you're not careful, you'll look for the dramatic moments with God. And it's typically in desert season moments with God where he'll send a deluge of rain in your life. And he loves paradox so much. Who had a dream about me and paradox? Anwin. He had a dream about paradox the other night. It'll, it'll feel like a dry season and then he'll dump rain on you. But it's actually up to you to learn to live off that water. And so if you're not careful, you'll be waiting for the next time he pours out that water. And you've got to have the ability to just absorb that water. And you've you got to have 200 gallons inside of you. And a lot of people that fall into the hyper grace camp, they jump from moment to moment to even looking for like these ecstasy moments in corporate worship or with God. When the true saints of God who know how to get to the backside of his heart and live there, because he, he typically meets his closest friends on the backside of deserts. He will take you through a desert to build friendship with you. He found Moses on the backside of a desert. He, he will find you in those thin places as the Celts describe it. He will find you... It's not these in front of every one moments that, that takes you to a deep place of the Father's heart. It's these times where you really can go a couple of years and not have any dramatic moments, but you are building such rich, deep friendship with him off of the water that you've learned to store up. And most of the time, most of the time, it's coming with rich fellowship, even with the Logos word itself. I have never seen anyone in my life, I've never seen anyone go to a deep place in God that is not being washed by the water of the word on a consistent basis. It's typically done in a hidden place. It's not very flamboyant. It's not conference-esque. It's on the backside of one of those. If you want to get to know God, he resides on the backside of deserts. And he loves to pour out rain and then develop in you an ability to capture the water he's pouring out and to live 10 more years off of that when someone else is needing rain like every day. Maybe that's just a word for me. But he wires us with the ability to absorb him. And a lot of people are dehydrated spiritually because they don't know how to absorb sweet intimacy with the Father. You actually can stir up your own faith. You actually can sustain through storms that other people are falling apart and you just forget it's 130 degrees in the desert and you just, it's just fine to you. But you can't do that apart from the vine. See, the vine of Jesus loves hot deserts, loves it. Because you don't know if you really can trust God until you're forced to whether or not you trust God. It's like it says in Nahum 1. God draws close to those who trust him. Well, think about that. God can be close and on your midst and you not have the ability to drink the blood of Jesus or eat his flesh to sustain yourself even though he's on your midst. Jesus can be in your midst and you not know it and you be going and looking for him everywhere and he's saying, I've been, I have been in your vicinity for so long. You just don't know how to absorb water from me. Just because he's at the well doesn't mean you're drinking off of him. Just because he's on the scene doesn't mean he's your substance. What's the whole adage? You can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. You can present Jesus in front of someone and if they do not know how to drink, it doesn't really matter. You've got to have the ability to realize that in this world, you will have trouble. It is so funny. Sometimes people I'm discipling or counseling sessions or whatever, it's like, when did you ever have an expectation that life wouldn't be hard? 
Scott Peck wrote a book, first sentence of the book. It's the best opening sentence I've ever read in a book. The name of the book is The Road Less Travel. The first sentence is, life is hard. Well, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. That wasn't a sort of kind of, he made a promise. But he also says, cling to me and you'll find a joy that's unspeakable. You'll find substance. You know that cacti can actually thrive, be beautiful and green and not rain for six months in a, in a really bad climate? Other plants fall apart like a $3 bill if it doesn't rain every couple of days. Have you ever gone to Walmart and you're so excited or go to Sam's or whatever and you put those plants out and like three days it looks like somebody has placed a witchcraft curse on your plant? <laughs> Have you ever seen those plants? It's like, what is the point? I got a baby in, sing to them. My, we, used to, uh, we used to laugh. What was the name of that plant that we used to say that you... Um, Delilah, she named her. When, when, there's certain plants that you could curse and kick and they thrive. And there's other plants, it's just like raising a child. It's like it's not worth it. I'd rather my house just not look pretty. Some of us are more like that plant that's like, oh, Lord, I just need a touch. I just need a touch. He's like, I just spoke to you an hour ago. I just moved in your midst. And other plants are like, man. It seems like nothing happens in that person's life, and all they do is just get richer and greener and richer and greener. You know why? Because they're actually still digging into the revelation they got six months ago and going to a deep place with it instead of acting like a crack addict with spiritual revelation. I got to have another, I got to have another, got to have another, got to have another. Sometimes you just need to sit in one revelation for about six months. Really. Recently, I've been reading Colossians. I, I don't know why. I don't know. I mean, it's the word, but... And I try to read something else, and I can't. I can't. It's, and I finally figured it out. It's because he wants to take you to a deep place in Colossians. Colossians says, let your roots grow deep into Christ Jesus. Some of us have such shallow roots that he's saying, quit looking for the next great thing. Just let them go deep. And there's seed time harvest of friendship with God. I'm blessing myself. I'm thirsty. I forgot. Can you? I put some electrolytes in that one. It's red. It's the sugar-free. I love it. It's delicious. Sometimes I drink so much water, being on keto, I feel like something's wrong with me. And uh, if you get this electrolyte powder, it's absolutely delicious. Sugar-free, though. You've got to be careful. Sugar's in everything in America. Have you noticed that? It drives me crazy. I wanted to take a supplement the other day. I'd be better off eating a Snicker bar. I was looking at this. I can't remember what it was. I'm on a bunch of vitamins. I'm on so many vitamins. I feel like one of those GNC salesmen right now. But I looked at it. And I'm like, what? Oh, it was electrolyte powder. That's what it was from the vitamin shop. I'm comparing it to a Coke of like, how do y'all get away with this? It's like that particular water, Dasani. It's from the Detroit River. Let that sink in. No offense, Tennyson. I'm not trying to come at you today. But um, I don't want water out of a Detroit River. I'd rather get it out of the bottom of a commode than a Detroit River. <laughs> Matthew 27, if I say liminal space to you, I don't know what you think about. Sean Curtis said it to me three weeks ago, and I said, I'm getting a doctorate. I read a bunch of books in a year. I've never heard the term liminal space. I didn't know what it was. Liminal space. What in the world is liminal space? If you in this room use that term in your life, you're either from San Francisco or you graduated from Harvard, would be my guess. Who in here uses the term, you know, liminal? I'm just in a liminal space season in my life. Nobody. Mike Jones ain't never said the word liminal in his life, I promise you. 
Liminal spaces, I've studied it a lot in the last couple of weeks, started being talked about about 100 years ago from someone in Europe, of course, because they're smarter. And it's even a time in your life or a gap, gap's a huge word, where there's some intentional ambiguity, dare I say even confusion, and you have to figure out really who you are in the middle of it. Maybe you lost a job and it's that space between you take your next job, you severed a relationship, it's the space between you start the new relationship, or maybe it's that one time when 11 disciples, because one betrayed him, got all these promises for three years. (laughs) Now, I will admit they were confused a little bit before then. These disciples had a lot of liminal going on, not just this space. But uh, they, they really, even in the book of Acts, they thought Jesus was coming back to to take over Rome. It's really funny if you read Acts 1. After the resurrection, they're like, Lord, will you now restore Israel? And he's thinking, oh, man. The whole thing was not about overtaking Rome, guys. It was about eternal life and reconciliation to the Father. But I'm pretty hard on the disciples because I have the word. It's not even by faith. I can read the story. I've read it so many times. But... If, if I step back and I evaluate this entire story, if my rabbi who had provided for me for three years was unrecognizable as a human on the cross, not to be too graphic, but it was, it was worse than Mel Gibson's portrayal in The Passion. Most theologians agree that you, it was so bad, he was not discernible as a human. I've thought about it from so many different perspectives, but I've never thought about it this way. What's going through their minds? Because we'd be a little more patient with them if you realize it's pretty graphic and pretty shocking, and it happened really fast. Gethsemane, arrest, scatter, the beloved John's the only one there, confusion, and now there's evidence and proof because this one man who had become a disciple of Jesus, a very wealthy man, goes to get the body. Let's cut him some slack. This is bizarre. And there's three days. There's three days. I can't wait to get the next Sunday. Every Sunday from every day is Resurrection Sunday on this side of the cross. But as we step back into the narrative, for three days, they're not just uh, bidding their time. They are in shock, really. And they are really confused even though God had given them a lot of promises. You know, just because God gives you a promise, and sometimes it's so clear it doesn't take faith to hear to receive it, typically his recipe is he'll give you a promise and then the opposite will happen in your life and you're going to have to decide what are you going to do between the promise and when it manifests. And that's, this is just bizarre. So let's just jump in. Matthew 27, I'm going to read a lot. Matthew 27, let's start at verse 45. I, and I even asked the Holy Spirit over the next 15, 20 minutes or so that you'd be able to hear this story perhaps in a fresh way. Don't get so used to the scriptures that it loses its even shock value. I have been praying that recently that God would speak to me in fresh ways and that I would not assume. You know what happens when you assume. Just let, Just get in it. At noon... Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. 
You ever feel like people misunderstood him his entire journey? That's why I pray Ephesians 1.17 over me all the time. I put my hands on my head at 3.33 in the afternoon, and I pray for Jeremiah 33.3 Revelation that I would know things I don't know. Don't assume you know anything. You may be confused about something for the last 30 years theologically, and you've been wrong for 30 years. And all you got to do is say this, Father, expose anything in my life that doesn't line up with the way in which you think. Be prepared with your Starbucks journal. He's going to show you stuff. I don't care who you think you are. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. But the rest said, wait, let's see whether Elijah comes to save him. Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's not forget, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus had talked about this for a while, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament. Let's not act like he didn't tell his, the intimate people around him what was going to happen. He even said, tear it down, I'll rebuild it in three days. I'm sure some of the disciples are probably embarrassed now or after the fact because the stuff happening right now, it's not as though he didn't talk about it. All right, verse 58. Then Jesus shouted out again. He released the spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. God does not mind making humans uncomfortable. That's up there with top 10. By the way, it says only the godly people got up. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say people, it said godly people. Don't ever try to get to a place where you feel like you have to help someone else be comfortable with the uncomfortableness of God. Just let God be God and let them wrestle with the own mess. Because if your Uncle Larry comes knocking on the door who died 250 years ago, you're going to need some peptid AC and you're going to need the Holy Spirit. If you can explain everything going on in your life, you're not following God. You may believe in God. It's okay to believe in God. When you're following God, there's things that happen on a consistent basis where you're not sure if you have a grid for that. Not too long ago, I saw an angelic feather fall on somebody while I was prophesying over him in a restaurant. I think God likes to do stuff to me to, to keep me on my toes. He showed me a picture the other day. I was on a golf course. He showed me a picture of a boxer, and he said, I want you on your toes. Because if we're not on our toes in, in sports, if you're on your heels, there's no sport in the world really you can play well. You, you, God will do things in your life. These are dead people getting out of graves. God's not like, you know what, let's just cut them some slack. This is going to be strange enough with Jesus walking around in three days. Instead, he's like, hey, get, get, get them up from the graves. Let them walk around knock on doors in Jerusalem. You can't imagine how fast this spread throughout the world, the weirdness of this whole thing. Verse 54, the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that had happened. They said, this man truly was the son of God. Many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him were there watching from a distance. And among them were Mary, Mary, and Mary. 
57, as evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. Imagine having the corpse of God in your hands. This is just a strange story. God does not mind liminal space. He does not mind you not really sure what's going on. I promise you this is some sanctified imagination. I promise you Joseph's not totally sure what's going on. I highly doubt he even knew that Jesus would pick that body back up and be walking around. What do you do when you're not really sure what's going on? Let's just, let's just take Simon Peter, for instance. Where is he during this passage? I think he's the most depressed he's ever been in his life. I think he's paranoid. I think he's confused. And I think he believes that Rome, the Roman centurions are about to drag him off too. He has every emotion pointing in the wrong way. Scared, anxious, afraid. Well, how do I know this? How, because he scatters. You don't scatter if you're full of peace. Now, why was John not, not full of anxiety? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's always one. Cream always rises. And there's typically a bunch that don't know what's going on. The disciples were very confused and they were very scared, and I don't blame them. Some of you don't need to beat yourself up with your own confusion, what you're going through right now. You don't need to beat yourself up because a lot of what stuff of what a lot of people in here are going through is hard. God's dead, and a rich man has his corpse. But just because you're not sure what God's doing when it seems confusing doesn't mean that's true on the other side. You see, our liminal spaces where we're confused, God's not confused. He's always doing something in your life when you are confused that you can't detect and can't see. And to get into the Hall of Fame of Hebrews 11, the only people that make it into the Hall of Fame in the kingdom are those that are not only comfortable in liminal spaces, but they trust the Word of God over their lives, even if your entire life is a liminal space. Do you know what separates the men from the boys in the kingdom? Is you're just never, and I mean ever, ever dominated by the natural realm. Most of God's kids are driven by the sense realm. Oh, I'm just going through this season. I'm going through that season. I'm not sure what God's doing. And we start to shake. Do you not know that everything down here is nothing but a training ground for the next lifetime? What if your entire existence on planet Earth is a liminal space for you because he's preparing for you something that you will lead out in the afterlife? I'm not joking. We fall apart because we typically are dominated by what we can see. This is bizarre. Personally, I feel like the Holy Spirit showed me that Joseph had more of a clue than the other ten disciples minus John. I can't prove that. There's a reason he went to get that body. Apostle Paul had more revelation than all the disciples times a thousand. That's putting it lightly. Do you know that you, not your spouse, not your children, no one else, you can be a cactus and not have to depend upon anyone else for your own revelation? Do you know that you can make Ephesians 1.17 like the mantra of your life? Father, I ask that you give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that I can know you better. You see, a liminal space in my life is a recipe to create in me a giant. You can't be a giant in the spirit without going through times in your life where you're not sure what's going on. Why do you need faith unless you need faith? Why do you need faith unless you need faith? You can, you, if you fall apart because you've been through two weeks, if you're not sure what's going on, you're just not a fully developed cactus. You need to become immovable. 
I said something recently. I said, Father, I'm just going to say this, and I know you will come through. But even if you do not, I will not bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. Even if you do not, every word you've spoken over my life, I'll believe it until I die. And if it doesn't manifest, it means nothing to me. You see, it becomes irrelevant. Your assignment becomes irrelevant when your biggest desire is to know the Father. That's not true of most people. I'm just going to be honest. I pastor a lot of people. They get offended when God doesn't come through for them pretty quickly. What's more important, the word, the clarity, or God? The best thing ever happened to me is going through a long season of the dark night of the soul. I had a liminal space where I didn't know anything anymore. And that's where I was formed. The strongest cacti in the world are formed in the hottest desert seasons. He has God's corpse in his hands. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across the tomb and watching. I'm going to ask him one day, what, what were you thinking? They were not thinking, oh, hurry up. Hey, Mary says to the other Mary, can you believe we're going to be in one of the Gospels one day? This is an amazing story. Everyone else is falling apart, but we're just fine. That's called denial. If you're in a liminal space, you actually can spin your own denial as faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Matter of fact, if there's not some doubt in it, I'm not so sure you need faith. Faith and doubt can, can mix together. You just got to decide which way you're going to look. You don't know who you are till you're squeezed. I think they thought, what is going on? I think they were sad too. But in their liminal space, here he is, the father with his feet propped up on a moon. The next day on the Sabbath, of course it's a Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, sir, we remember what the deceiver once said while he was still alive. <sighs> to call Jesus Christ a deceiver, you, you, you are the most deceived one. If you are throwing stones at other people's deception, it's because you are ignoring perhaps that you could be deceived as well. When it comes to deception, just let God be God on that thing. And you get really low with him. They call Jesus Christ a deceiver. And they, 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 they said, after three days, I will rise from the dead. You know what's going on in the spirit realm? Him here in the spirit realm is getting very, very, very nervous. By the way, Apostles Creed and Peter himself even spoke to what was going on on the Lord's side during this liminal space. The Baptists and the Methodists and the Presbyterians may not like it, but the Apostles Creed, during this three days of really not know what's going on, I believe Jesus Christ went into the underworld and told the spirits what was happening. I believe he told the demonic realm, you made a tremendous mistake. Why would it say in Romans that the enemy never would have crucified the Lord of glory if they had known what they had done? You see, in the liminal space for Mary and Mary and the other Mary and all the disciples, they were scared to death and confused. The Lord wasn't confused. You see, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. Joseph was holding the outer garment of Jesus. Your body is not who you are. You are a spirit. You're housed in a body. Jesus went into hell and said, you might want to take notes on this because I'm going to need those keys back. You thought you defeated me. Now I have stripped you of all your splendor and glory for all time. It can never be undone. I'm going to go ahead and take those keys and I'm going to take my time for three days telling you how this is all going to go down. What's the first thing Jesus said when he got back into his body? That body that Joseph had. Behold, I've been given all authority... In their liminal space, they were confused. God's not confused. 
I promise you the angel's about to sit on top of the stone. Not only is he not confused, he had a swagger to him. Greetings. Just because you're confused right now what you're going through doesn't mean he's confused. And if you were so confused, you know what? It's just admitting, just be honest with it. You've made yourself your own God because you feel like you have to provide yourself your own clarity. Says who? Says who? Why write Proverbs? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Never lean on your own understanding. Why is that in the Bible? Because you're not made to be a God. And some people who are pure are actually their own gods, and they don't even know it. Because you expect that you should just have this thing figured out by now. Says who? You are a sheep. You don't know anything. The weaker you become, he'll come scoop you up and make you look great. But the moment you get all thrown off because you can't figure this thing out, you can't figure this season out, who even told you you're supposed to figure a season out? We make ourselves gods and don't even know it. And we we prop ourselves up in pride saying, I'm avoiding these ten sins, not knowing that your Messiah complex is so large that the angels are confused. They thought Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected for you, and you're acting like you've got to carry this thing out on your own. That's not true. You've got to be careful if you go after the Lord and call him a deceiver. Watch what happens, because here comes the angel. I would rather the enemy come after me than the armies of the living God come after me. Okay, Pilate, I think he's so nervous. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. Yeah, that'll, that'll help. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. Why are they so concerned about this dead Nazarene? When people are chirping at you and they won't stop slandering you and gossiping you, look at it as a compliment because they sure are concerned about you. Why do they got to talk so much about the Lord? If what they think is true, then just let it be what it is. This is why God would use a Pharisee, a leader, to stand up and say, Brothers, y'all need to shut your mouth because if this is from God, you're kicking against the goats. They should have just been quiet. You'd be better off being quiet. Don't come against the Lord Almighty. Don't do that. Because there's a plan behind the scenes going on that no one can see. But the enemy sure was nervous because the enemy was using these people to call them deceivers. Watch this. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it best you can. I love that, best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. They could have put armies from 15 continents. It wouldn't have mattered. Verse 28, early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, I love that word. When you're walking with God, you can sort of kind of discern what he's doing, and then boom, clarity comes. Boom, the angel shows up. He'll give you enough clarity to keep you moving, and, uh, and enough ambiguity to keep you trusting, but make no mistake about it. Your liminal season will end, and you will have that moment of like, oh, that's what you've been doing the whole time. Oh, that's what you're doing. Those are some of my most favorite moments when he is painting a picture over my life that I couldn't see. Until you've been to the place with God where you even wonder if he's with you anymore, you haven't been to a very dark place of having to wrestle your faith out. Jacob wrestled with Jesus all night, and Israel was birthed out of a liminal season. I love this. Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. What threatens to kill you, the Father doesn't see it that way, as long as you trust. He'll send an angel to sit on what was threatening to capture you your entire life. He sits on it. 
His face shone like lightning, his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. How come Mary and Mary didn't fall into a dead faint? Your enemies will become his enemies, and he will deal with them. And that's where we find ourselves. The angel says to the women, hey, don't be afraid. Now, their confusion is still not over, but hope begins to arise when an angel says, hey there. I love the hey there moments. The Chad, I'm still with you moments. My biggest fear in life is, is him not being for me or me not still abiding. I don't care if the hordes of hell make me their prime target for the rest of my life. I don't care if I have to play Alabama every Saturday in the spirit and I just feel like I'm getting train rolled every week of my life. As long as I know God is with me, I'm okay. The moment where I'm not sure if that cloud's with me, I become really panicky. The two Marys don't faint, but the ones that called the Lord a deceiver fell in a dead faint. In the Greek, it's really funny there. It's like, have you ever seen those goats that you yell at them and they just collapse? <laughs> These things make me laugh. Me and my youngest child watch them on YouTube. They, they faint. And I'm going to save it for next week. It's really interesting. I will give you a heads up. He, he says, uh, the Lord told you this would happen. My translation. Run along now and tell the brothers he'll meet him in Galilee. But even when, even when Mary and Mary see the angel, it says at the same time, they were full of joy and fear. Let's stand up together. I want to ask our prayer servants to come down. Because for some of you, you are in a season that you, can't, you don't know what's going on. And you... You, you're starting to see some joy arise, but you also have a lot of fear. I'm just here to tell you, that ain't a bad thing. A lot of people that are always going around singing, I got that joy, 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 joy. There's a lot of truth in that, but a lot of times there's a lot of denial in that. Your joy is not fully sweet unless you've pushed through your own fear. Your faith is not fully developed unless it's pushed through your own doubt. Liminal spaces form us. Cacti are not swaying in the Bahamas where it's 81 degrees and cool they get formed where other plants die don't you want to be one of god's kids that you get formed so deep that people are shriveling up around you and you're just like i got 150 more gallons bring on the storms in the name of jesus may you see liminal space as forming ground god show me a picture of how navy seals are developed they're not developed on whiteboards their instructors almost drown them at the bottom of ponds, and yet they come out stronger. May you become a cactus that you thrive with the water of who Jesus Christ is. If you need prayer this morning, come forward. God bless you. I hope you have a great week.